from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. Where people work these days has transitioned from just at work to basically any place, anywhere, anytime. It's really become more about what do people need in their lives to feel fulfilled in the work that they do, to feel supported, to have all of the resources that they need to do that. That was Michael Bacar, Director of Global Workplace Programs at Google, and Lindsay Baker, WeWork's Head of Sustainability and Wellbeing. They sat down at Verge 18 in Oakland, California, to discuss the ever-expanding definition of workplace and how their companies are building it with the new generation of workers in mind. Let's listen in. So we wanted to bring together, in, in terms of talking about innovating on entrenched industries and really kind of proactively transforming those markets, um, disrupting those markets um, for positive impact, we wanted to bring together Google and WeWork in particular because they are investing and innovating in innovating on real estate, uh, which is a very entrenched industry. So welcome for that. Um, I want to start with, I mean, the, the title of this panel is called Creating the Workplace of the Future. And first, I want to talk about the current state. So, you know, workplaces have been around forever since people have been employed. <laughs> so what, do you, what does a workplace mean for Googlers and WeWorkers and even WeWork tenants? So I think for us it has changed over the last couple of years from just thinking about the physical workplace in a Google office and then you can break it out into the work desk area, the collaboration spaces, cafes, etc. It has morphed into that, but now in addition, transportation, the shuttle services. A lot of our Googlers actually take the shuttle from like Oakland or San Francisco to the Bay Area, as well as really thinking about the home hotels and planes because I think where people work these days has transitioned from just at work to basically any place, anywhere, anytime. Hmm. And what about WeWork? Yeah, so I mean in a sense we have some similarities in that we, we really are thinking holistically, not just about the idea of an office as being this place that you spend nine to five and you have your desk and all of that. It's really become more about what do people need in their lives to feel fulfilled in the work that they do, to feel supported, to have all of the resources that they need to do that. I think the difference for us is that we really do, we, well, you know, we care about transportation, how people get to the space and, and, and cities and density, and we can talk about that. But in particular, what we're trying to do is to provide physical space for people to, to do their best work. And so there is still a lot about how you morph that into the modern lifestyle. But what we're realizing and why we believe there's a huge opportunity is that there is sort of this weird increasing isolation that happens in society when you do have the ability to work from anywhere or be anywhere. And there's a, uh, a real demand for places where people can come together, uh, feel like a part of a community, and yes, do work together, help each other do work. Uh, but it's really about providing that opportunity to connect physically in the same place with people that we really, that we're, we're, we're seeing that demand today in the world. We think it's only going to continue. Yeah, so speaking of, you know, as you are working now, um, you have to plan and predict for the future, or do you? Um, I think there's a question about how far out do you guys think in terms of your designing of your physical spaces and the amenities you're providing and a number of other things like that. So how do you guys define the future in terms of your workplace, workplace planning? So we have a very, very broad um, 
range. So it starts really with thinking about what do we envision to see happen or change over the next three, four, five years. And that's really for the office buildings. We're actually planning today, building out tomorrow, and opening a year from now. But at the same time, really thinking about from what will we do with our office buildings 100 years from now? Because we're building a variety of buildings now from the ground up. And we're really thinking through this notion of we cannot predict the future. We don't really know what the work environment will be like 20 or 50 years from now. But we do believe in ultimately that a number of our core buildings will be there like the ferry building. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting when you think about the ferry building as an example. Opened in 1898, got actually repurposed in the 1950s. And then in the early 2000s, it got a new function as well. So the physical structure remains the same, but the functionality actually has changed pretty dramatically. And we're thinking the same actually about our core new buildings in the same functionality. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, our challenge is fun in the sense that we iterate pretty quickly, right? So we work space, and we're talking about from the point that we uh, lease some space in a building to the point that it is launched is typically much shorter than what it typically takes people to get into spaces. And we're launching 1.2 million square feet per month right now, for example. So we're really, uh, we have this opportunity to try new things all the time. So it gives us actually a shorter time horizon in a sense because we have that opportunity to really try things and sort of fail fast, as they say. Uh, but when we do think about what we want to be providing for the future, it's a little bit more in this realm of, you know, this notion that uh, in 2050, 70% of the world's population is going to live in cities. And I, the statistic I read the other day was that a third of the American population will have had to look for a new job or career because of the increasing automation of jobs. Uh, and that's, I think, it's 800 million people globally. So this is, we're going to be seeing all of those shifts, uh, which is really going to impact the way that we look at the workforce and how people define themselves and how we create these opportunities for mobility, for new job creation. Uh, so, so we think a lot about the need, the, the impending and ever-increasing need for people to find new and career paths, and how do you sort of facilitate that? How do you get people the education they need? How do you get the space they need, right? All these things to, to make that work. So this brings me to the idea of drivers of change, right? Because you guys are essentially predicting what the needs of this building are going to be, the occupants, the changing nature of work, the physical building, the workspace. So in terms of interaction, you know, what follow, what, essentially what drives what in terms of the uh, changing nature of work and the work space itself? Is it form follows function? Function follows form? What, how do you guys think about that in terms of, you know, are you creating a space so that the occupants will behave in a specific kind of way that will create a more positive impact? Or are you just following what is happening and, and doing less bad? So I would give you actually, there's an answer in between, okay. exactly to create agile workspaces. Okay. Because I think as teams evolve, and for example, if you think about what needs to get done when you develop a product versus launching a product, versus ultimately maintaining a product, 
the work is very, very different. The work environment needs to be different. So it's almost like if you can create the physical infrastructure in which people can adapt their work configuration based on their needs or just based on their work style, then I think you really have a winner. So we've actually become actually more agile recently as we are less prescriptive because I think there are a variety of these broader changes. For example, the newer generation has just a very different outlook on work than maybe my generation. And as you see now, actually multiple generations in a workspace at the same time, you just need to create this flexibility where an individual uh, can own his, own his or her own destiny. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm gonna start with one of my favorite quotes, which is actually like a dual quote. Uh, and it starts with Winston Churchill, many of you may have heard it. First we shape our buildings, and then they shape us. And then Stuart Brand adds on, and then we shape them again, ad infinitum. <laughs> Which um, is the way that I think about it when it comes to space, and like what, what is the driver? Is it, is it sort of, I'm gonna make the space that I, or you know, WeWork is gonna discover the kind of spaces that everybody wants, and then build those spaces, and then it'll always be perfect. It's never gonna be that, right? We're always gonna be responding to new types of work, and then our spaces will, in fact, impact people. So, you know, there's all this research talk, coming out these days talking about how open offices sometimes lead to people being less engaged with their coworkers. What is that about? How do you get at that? So I genuinely believe that physical spaces are gonna have a really profound impact on people and how they get work done and their health and all these things. So we have that responsibility, but we also have to understand that people are gonna do whatever people wanna do. And so I do see that it's just a constant evolution. It's one of the reasons that research is a pretty important part of the work that we do at WeWork. So we, we if, if you're not familiar, there's some great pieces like in Wired Magazine, for example, talking about the work that we do to essentially gather a lot of data about how rooms are used, about how different types of spaces are used, whether, for example, our design interventions, like we have a lot of interior stairs in our spaces, and we've done research that talks about the fact that we're seeing more of these casual collisions happening in those interior core stairs that we build in a lot of our, into a lot of our member sites. So using that data to really understand is it actually working is a critical thing that we haven't done very well uh, typically in real estate and we're really trying to build out the right infrastructure to do that so that we can respond as work changes, as people change. I think in addition to that as well, I think what we don't really know yet is what the impact is going to be of new technologies that I think I personally believe are gonna profoundly change the work experience, augmented reality, virtual reality, just the internet at much higher speed. And I think on the one hand, you're gonna get this incredible impact of technology, but I think at the same time, you're gonna get this stronger longing for human connections. Mm -hmm. And I therefore believe that the office can actually play a somewhat different role than it plays today. Because I think from a work perspective, you might be able to do your coding or your work anywhere at any time. But in order to fulfill your need for connectivity, the office might actually become the social hub and therefore, for example, amenities might start to play a much broader role because if you think about the Bay Area today, why would you spend two hours in a bus or on a car to move from point A to point B and work over there if the work that you do at the office can be done at home as well? So I think there needs to be a reason of why you ultimately come to this social gathering place. And I think at that social gathering place that we will call the office, 
there needs to be much more opportunities to have these true human interactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to kick it to sidebar pretty soon. But before we go to questions from the audience, um, I do want to ask you guys, um, well, I want to frame it, which is the elephant in the room. You're both representing tech companies. So Google and WeWork, um, also with the reputation of generally being cash rich, got a lot of capital. Um, but I'm sure that there are certain things that you guys are doing, um, maybe even innovation-oriented things in terms of creating this social hub concept that you're talking about or um, dealing with creating physical things that create serendipity, as you're saying, in terms of those collisions of ideas. Um, what are those less capital-intensive solutions, independent of whether or not you're in a tech company, that you think others can replicate? Oh, so, so many places to start here. I think for us, the ones that I'm getting most excited about are around awareness building and the way that we communicate about um, what sort of what matters in the workplace certainly around things that I'm doing on sustainability it's, and, and well-being as well. It's really, um, there are tons of opportunities to just improve the workplace through better communication, right? So a lot of the stuff that we do at WeWork that seems um, kind of surprising to people is just around like organizing regular happy hours and having, you know, like gingerbread making day, or gingerbread house making dish. They're very simple things that build community and, and make people feel like they're a part of something and give people that chance to meet their neighbors. It's not usually too expensive to do that. Um, to, you know, we do a, a ton of that and have figured out ways to make it pretty cheap. So, so I think those are the real opportunities because it does bring this higher level of consciousness and makes people feel a sense of belonging. Uh, but then, yeah, certainly it's also just getting over that hump of someone who doesn't necessarily feel like they have time to gather a piece of data on their work, just resetting the assumption that it's important to gather data about whether we're being effective in our work or not. And so I think it, I think it really runs the gamut. But yeah, it's, certainly I also like to make sure that it's clear. I see that we have a responsibility to try new things that may be a little more expensive than the than the innovator, the, the you know the inventor wants it to be in the long run, but they kind of need that place to test things out. And so, I do think that companies like ours, you know, can play a really big part in um, making things more affordable, but trying the things and being a little bit on the bleeding edge because we can afford to. So, so that's that's also worth saying. Hmm. I'll give you two additional but different examples. So, I think the first one is. Um, I think all of us can work with NGOs or local entities to do research, and the research can ultimately benefit you as the organization, but you make sure as well that ultimately the findings become public goods as well. And a good example for us is the work we've done with the San Francisco Estuary Institute about climate resilience and ecology in the Bay Area. So they've benefited, the, the general public has benefited from it, but we have learned as well of how we can ultimately deal with our presence in the Bay Area. A second example, which ultimately is going to save us all money, is the tongue, tongue twister, the dematerialization, is thinking through how might you, for example, build offices that are actually less refined and with more spaces left open. So instead of ceiling tiles, just actually leave the ceiling open. So there is less material being used to ultimately finish an office. 
that saves money. It saves ultimately all the good stuff, and anybody can do that. Interesting. That's so cool. Um, John, do you have any questions? Yeah, we have a few questions. And one, I think we've talked a lot about the building shaping the workplace, but we got a question around sort of food programs. And, yeah, we work was in the news for being going meatless, at least for its employees, and Google food feeds a lot of employees. How do you come up with those programs, and how do you see those influencing the workplace and productivity? Yeah, so we really think about food and how it fits into our lives in a pretty holistic way. So, so yes, so our, our uh, announcement a few months back that we, we no longer um, pay for meat as a company um, has, I think, produced a lot of really interesting conversations in this community and elsewhere. Uh, and it's been really interesting for me to see the result of that. It's, uh, you know, we've, I have never tasted so many delicious vegan treats in my life, and it's really, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, but in particular, the way that we're thinking about sustainability and thinking about creating a workplace and a, and a community of, of, that's really emphasizing consciousness about your role in the world is that rather than thinking about the impacts that we have, like our footprint per se, we're really thinking about the ways in which we can positively impact the world using the, the power of the community that we have. And so with meat, it was a great example of something that we all know is a huge climate problem. And we could very easily uh, make this decision that profoundly changes the mindset of a large group of people, lowers our carbon footprint, uh, and immediately uh, saves us some money, et cetera. And um, for our community, that's been really, a really effective way of sort of jump-starting some of the conversations that everyone wanted to have. And now, of course, we're pulling in all of these things that people want to do that they know relate to, to carbon impact. So I would just say it's, 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 first of all, a decision that we make because we believe it's, the, it's, it's an opportunity to raise awareness and to reset people's defaults. Um, but then also because it was, a, it was actually kind of a reasonable thing to do. Given our, our community, our brand, our culture, the company, it, it, it worked pretty well. It made sense for your company, yeah. which may not, obviously, for others yeah, like yeah. Google. What did yeah. you guys do? So we have offered food literally from the beginning of our organization. So we're 20 years old now. Food has been part of our beginning. So interesting tidbit. Employee number 53 in our world was our first chef. Our first HR manager was employee 62. So you can wow. truthfully say food was at the beginning of our organization. And we really see this part of our overall workplace experience. It drives productivity and performance. It is a way to attract and retain talent. So we really use this part of the integrated employee experience. Just like Lindsay, we have a view on ultimately meat as well. And we've taken the, 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 the decision to actually to move our user base to a more balanced, plan-forward diet where meat will continue to be offered but ultimately it's going to be a condiment and offered less frequently because similar to Lindsay, we believe as well that ultimately our existing meat consumption is long-term not sustainable both for the environment and for people's health, but we just have taken a different approach to ultimately get to a similar outcome. Yeah. Wow, so unfortunately we don't have any more time for more questions, but last question before we get the hook. Um, in three adjectives, <laughs> describe the workplace of the future to you. 
team, social, mobile. Inclusive, responsive, and connected. Nice. I think that's the way we're going to end it. Thanks for connecting with us. Thanks. Thank you to Michael and Lindsay. You've been listening to Michael Bacar of Google and Lindsay Baker from WeWork speaking at the Verge 18 conference in Oakland, California about how to balance technology and human connections in building the workplace for today and tomorrow. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.